you know, you just have to show up. And it's uncomfortable to go to meetings or go to the get together and not know anybody and not know anything to contribute to the conversations. But you just have to keep showing up. Um, you know, it takes months, a year. You know, you, I know it sounds like a big investment and it's uncomfortable, but the more you do it, the more you grow and the more friends you honestly cultivate from that. Like we have some amazing friendships from these people that we just show up and, you know, talk about our problems. And I think that that's the other one. guys and gals Cole here with Coeur Advice Givers uh, today we are heading out to Lone Mountain Farms to sit down with Luke and Emily Black they started this farm out in Athol and have sustained organic practices uh, which we dive into as well as Luke is a computer programmer by day but he's always trying to advance how small farms take hold and how they can survive. And so we talk in the interview a lot about artificial intelligence, how he plans to incorporate that into the farm. Uh, we also dive into robots, the future of farming for small farms, what to look for uh, with the chicken expert, Emily, what to look for in your yolks of your eggs and all kinds of other interesting little tidbits that you would have no idea about these local farms so hope you guys enjoy it Hey everyone, Cole Turnbull with Cordelian Advice Givers, where we interview Cordelian business owners, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders to bring Cordelian residents the best advice from our community's brightest minds. Today we're joined by Luke and Emily Black, owners and founders of Lone Mountain Farms, which is a small farm located in Athol, where their goal is to provide delicious and healthy food for our community through sustainable and organic practices. This isn't your average small family farm, however. Luke, a computer programmer by day and a farmer by night, has a plan. His plan is to create the future of small farming through development of artificial intelligence to eventually be able to help small farmers reach tech-level salaries with his help with help from his wife, Emily. Thanks for having us out to the farm, you guys. Thank you. Of course. Hey, um, before we really get into Lone Mountain Farms and the story behind that and everything, let's get to know you guys a little bit. Uh, we'll start with rapid fire se session so one of you guys feels like hey i want to answer that question go ahead if not you know pass it or whatever right <laughs> uh where did you grow up emily so i grew up in montana um in big fork during the winter and whitehall during the summer and during the summer we were on a cattle ranch my dad owns a cattle ranch over there so I, I did have a little agriculture in my background. Nice. What about you, Luke? I grew up here, uh, Post Falls and Rathrum. And that's where you got your uh, 
your farming come from a farming family as well, right? Yeah, well, my dad and mom both aren't, but my grandparents were. They were one of the, you know, original farmers in um, Rathrum. Nice. And so they owned between Bakel and um, Wright Street, all of that area in, like, downtown uh, Rathrum. So that's where I grew up on that farm, and it was uh, fun. You know, it was it was good times. I spent most of my childhood there. Is it still farmers at houses It's now? all houses now. That's what, yep. that seems to be happening. Yeah. Uh, Emily, what would be your ideal way to spend a weekend? Oh, well, of course, in my garden, um, planting or even weeding, I will do that. But uh, when I am off the farm, I love kayaking or just getting outdoors and um, kind of exploring. All right, Luke, this one's for you. What job would you be terrible at? job would I be terrible at? Public speaker. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. There's a reason I'm a computer programmer and a farmer. <laughs> I like to be out on my own and not under a camera. Kind of <laughs> kind of just flying solo, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Emily, what skill would you like to master? Thank Farming? You. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, there's um, so many skills that when I try to master one, I realize how stupid I am. And the more I learn, the more I realize how much more there is to learn so i mean mastering farming is a lifelong goal because there's so much to it uh, but that's pretty much the goal like i want to conquer this farming um thing and figure out the climates and the pests and the soil and the different plants that bring different flavors and really enrich our whole diets and enjoyment over food so it's gonna take a while but we'll say that for now yeah i mean you think of farming most of us you know non-farmers i guess think of farming as like you're sitting like go to the grocery store and you buy your cucumbers and like that's what goes into it but like if you're actually like farming like we've talked about earlier you're constantly testing you know adjusting manipulating going you know going through the steps so exactly and every season is different every climate is different uh, there's a new pest so every year is like a whole new learning experience um, and any other occupation you get to practice your craft over and over and over again but for us it takes a whole season to practice our craft so even if I'm farming for 30 years I'm only getting 30 times to figure out how to plant and grow a successful crop. Like, so imagine a quarterback only throwing yeah. 30 throws and then going out and doing NFL. Like that's what we basically do. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like it's so amplified. Like yep. you literally, you, you could say, yeah, I'm, I'm farming for 30 years, but like you're saying, like you, you only have 30 chances. It's not, 365 times 30 whatever that astronomical number is yeah exactly um luke what pets did you have while growing up my dad is an avid disliker of pets so at my house i didn't have any but um when my parents split up i my mom let me have a cat so i had a cat still a cat guy uh, yeah i mean generally yep you guys have yeah, we dogs have cat, too, right? Yeah. Cats and dogs. Cool yeah. dogs. Yeah. You can't live on a farm without a cat because um, of pests. Uh, so 
it's good that we both are cat people because let's go one step further than this emily what pet would you like to have on your farm okay so the next one that we're gonna have is um a pig so i i can't remember the name of it right now i think it's no it's i think it's a coon coon okay so they're the most adorable pig they're kind of furry and they have spots and they're uh, more of a uh, grazer so it will you know, graze the grass versus rooting as much. So it's better for kind of a grazing pasture management type system. Um, but they're cute and little, and I totally want one. Do you have a name picked out? No, not yet. I'm horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pork chop, bacon, something like that. Luke, what takes up too much of your time? My job. Um, that's a good question. Um, a lot of things that there's a lot of things on the farm that take up a lot of time that feel like they shouldn't take up a lot of time. Irrigation is one of those. I spend a ridiculously large amount of time every year dealing with things that I shouldn't be dealing with in irrigation. You know, pipes break. We got to change something. And I think it. I I love. I have a love hate relationship with irrigation. Like yeah. I <laughs> I love it because it's kind of fun to design new things and. And come up with new strategies to maximize our water usage because we're very conscientious about our water. Um, and so, but at the same time, it's just when you have to fix the same stinking valve every year, it's just, you just go crazy. But Emily, what's the best way to start a day? In the garden, obviously. Um, so, yeah, I usually start my morning outdoors. Um, turning on the irrigation that Luke has so kindly set up for me. Uh, We're working on kind of that automated irrigation system and getting the interface built and all of the different components and so forth so we can really maximize the water on the farm and not have as much waste. Uh, So we are really focusing on the drip system and a lot of small sprinklers and not Um, the large impact sprinklers. Uh, So at this point, we are setting all of that up, but I do start my day out in the garden, uh, either weeding or irrigating and just kind of tending. And I love it because it's just, the morning is the best time because everything is so quiet and there's a coolness to the morning and everything's waking up. It's just so peaceful and the best way to start your day. Cool. Luke, you ready for this? Okay. All right. Shoot. What's something you think everyone should do at least once in their life? Hmm. Boy, I don't know. Travel? I, I, what's the, that seems like something everyone would say, oh, you know, the ostentatious, if that's, you know, whatever that word is. Um, like, oh, you should go travel to Europe or something. But I don't know. It's not farm. Don't uh, don't do that. Um, I don't I know, mean, man. You know, like ride a ride a bull or go skydiving or you know. Yeah, but it, wouldn't it imply like that? that I would have to be the one to do it too? Like I've never done those things. I Me mean, neither. Yeah, I don't take a risk without thinking about the cost of that risk. 
one. You know, be spontaneous, basically. Right. At least one. Yeah. For me, that's hard to do. Like, I'm not, I'm a planner, and it's, that's very hard for me to do. So, right. I, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I imagine being a, pro, a computer programmer, you're probably a pretty linear person. Right? Exactly. Like, yep. It goes in this order. Yep. <laughs> Drives her crazy. And if it doesn't go in that order, <laughs> then it's not, then that's not cool. Yep. <laughs> uh, Emily. Who has impressed you most with what they've accomplished? And well, there's a lot of people that we've met in the farming community, especially that have really surprised me. Um, just how young they are and how ambitious they are. And I feel like a slacker when I look at them yet. I don't have another minute in my day to do anything. Um, I think the the one that inspires me the most um, it may be Colette de Phelps. Um, she has um, really kind of pioneered a lot of the different food system um, organizations in like the Moscow area and really getting the universities to implement programs to support that and get grants to fund that. So there's just been a huge boom because of her that we have interest and support for a food system educating consumers on where to get local food and how to you know, really support the local farmer and the local economy. Um, so that's really been impressive um, to me and she doesn't stop. Um, she's always going for more and doesn't, and she's just so optimistic about everything. Um, I just love it and, you know, would, I'm inspiring to be like her. So I have one. Can I jump in? Yeah, go ahead, Luke. So one for me is uh, we met through our farming. He's actually, um, him and this other uh, lady developed our co-op that we were part of, a farmer co-op in Spokane, but it's Joel Williamson. And he, uh, so he started Link Foods, which is a food co-op um, for farmers, local farmers to get food out to, to restaurants and institutions and stuff. Really hard for them to get local food. Um, so he got that going. And then he started a malt house, first malt house in Spokane since before Prohibition. Um, so it's, we have a local malt house now that to make craft malt here, which is what goes into beer and whiskeys and that sort of stuff. Then on top of that... He's a brewer, and he started the Grain Shed in, in Spokane. So he's a brewer, a malter, and runs the, the Link Foods. It's pretty crazy. Busy guy. Yeah, he's yeah. younger than I. He's 30, some young 30, you know, early 30s. Hey, getting like, it done. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's dive into Lone Mountain Farms. Uh, how did Lone Mountain Farms come to be? Well, you know, do you want me to tell the story? Um, you know, I'm a, as you said, I'm a programmer. I have been for 30, uh, 20 years. This, I, this is my 20-year anniversary. I started when I was 16 programming. Um, and I've been on the computer since I was 16, pretty much. And uh, so we lived in Post Falls. And um, one day we were just like, wow, we are overweight, in terrible health, and we just feel like crap, you know? And it's like we need to get outside and do more stuff and we're just not really sports people you know we don't 
do a lot of sports stuff. So we're like, well, what can we do to get outside? And we had started gardening in the backyard and we're like, you know, this is kind of fun. And I, my mom lives in, in Rathrum and she has kind of an acreage area and she's like, oh yeah, come over and try it out here in a bigger scale, you know? And so we started growing for our friends, us and our friends there and selling it to our friends. And, um, it kind of just like snowballed from that. It was like, oh, okay. Wow. I really like doing this. Oh, okay. Now I can take it a next step further. Um, and I had been growing hops at my mom's house for a while before we did that. So I kind of had a field set up and I knew I wanted to grow hops. I just didn't know what scale I wanted to grow hops at. Um, because I've always been kind of a brewer at heart. And, um, so we kind of got the idea. It was like, okay, let's, let's get out, get some property and start trying it, you know, and, and really doing it. And so that's kind of how it developed. Um, I don't know. Did I miss anything? I don't think. No, that's really how it developed. And I think just the passion for what we were doing uh, just helped that whole snowball effect. We just loved it. You know, it's like this is a passion of ours and we get to do what we want to do. You know, we started grains because Luke wants to get more involved with um, the actual malt, malting process of barley and creating our own estate beer and so forth. So, you know, it's just so fun. We're in control. We can do whatever we want to do. And I think it's just liberating to have a farm. Was it something that you guys like dreamed of as kids? Like, absolutely not. No, no. <laughs> I had nothing to do with farms when I was a kid. Um, yeah. You're like grandma, grandma and grandpa had me out there working yeah. in summer and yeah, I'm done with this. I'm never doing it again. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, I read an article that was written about you guys from Matthew Weaver at the Capitol Press. And I found it really interesting how you plan on moving forward with, you know, your computer background on the what, you know, and what your farm's going to look like here in the future. And what's your vision, Luke, of farming? Sure. Um, so... As you said, uh, one of the things I was, I, I like to combine my passions um, very, a lot, in a lot of areas in my life, I try to combine all my passions and skills. And one of them was uh, bringing technology to the farm. I mean, the farming is so, you know, large scale aside, those guys kind of have it, but it's very expensive. But small scale farms like ours, there's almost no technology for it. I mean, it was not until recent that you started seeing um, soil moisture readers small enough for the farmers like that that was just not a thing um, it fortunately with this IOT revolution that's happening right now it's we're starting to get more of those things you know um, one of the things that really has helped us um, move forward is the things like nest and you know those Google assistants and all those things are starting to become more mainstream so that that's kind of leaking into the farming world but when we started, there was literally nothing you could buy that would tell you what your soil moisture was or, you know, what the temperature, I mean, obviously you have temperature readers for, you know, weather stations and stuff, but it's not the kind of data, data that we need as farmers, you know, yeah. um, there's a lot that goes into weather and, um, I mean, I could spend hours telling you how detailed it gets when it comes to irrigation, like when to water and when not to water. I mean, generally, and I mean, we're guilty of this right now. Uh, we water on a on a timer, 
which is not the right way to water. Um, you water when the plant needs water, and that's the most efficient way of, you, to use water. Um, but uh, one of the things I and that's what what got me going in this IoT stuff for the farm was that I wanted a water system that ran itself because I would always forget to go shut it off or it was timered and it would be raining and the water would be going, you know, and I knew that there are solutions to that, but there, there's a lot other ways to deal with this. So uh, what I did was decided that I would start building um, the core of the system is a server. Um, we actually call it Skynet from Terminator um, because it runs everything here. <laughs> um, and it's uh potentially sentient one day. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I'll try I'll try to keep the cable short so it doesn't take over the world. We'll be good. Um, anyway, the uh, uh, so what it does is it basically is the controller for everything on the farm. So it, it records all sensor data goes into it um, and then it deals with decisions. Thanks, Trucker. Um, and so the one, I can give you an example. It's the best way to do to understand it is through example. Um, what I do is there's there's an AI. It's called machine learning, and basically what it does is it learns when we're turning water on and off manually, and it's watching that and recording that information. And so yeah, we have it set on a timer, but we can also control when it goes on and off, and it, and it logs all that data. And so what it does is it starts thinking and watching weather data and other values and says, oh, okay, I see why you turn the water on then. And now I'll do it next time for you. And so the goal is, is down the road, that we will never have to control when the water turns on. It knows, and it just takes care of it itself. And that's kind of one little piece of the puzzle, but that's what kind of got me going down that path. It's like, oh, you know, I can use the skills that I've learned over the years, and specifically recently with AI, to really take a lot of the guesswork out of farming. Because one of the yeah. things that's an issue is like, I don't have 30 years of experience behind me farming. Like, when do you really water this stuff? I don't know. You just kind of toss a dart at the wall and hope it sticks. But now if we have the data to support it and some machine says, this is when it should be going, then I, don't ha I can be hands off and focus on other things. Like what enterprises do we want to do? And how can I sell my beer to, you know, consumers? and and stuff so for them to enjoy exactly i i find that really fascinating because it really does take the the element of human error exactly. out of you know the whole process and like we were just talking about you only have you know 30 opportunities to hit a home run right so if you only have 30 opportunities and us as humans we're not perfect you know you forget to turn the water on for you know for a night or you leave it leave it running and then all of a sudden everything floods and you know then your plants are are drowning basically you know i mean and that water bill yeah and the water <laughs> bill so it's like i anytime you can take you know anything that can be considered service work right yep. and have it machine you know have a machine do it or a computer or robot whatever mm -hmm. can handle it then i think you know we're all in a better position because like you said then you have time to actually grow you know your business because otherwise you're working in your business not on your business right yeah um and so then also you were mentioned something in that and which was 
sensory farming and that kind of something to do with how it's reading the the soils right correct yeah so we have um what i call the sensor array and it uh, what it is is it's a box that has uh, we don't have any out right now but i need because i actually am switching all my hardware up um, i ran into a lot of issues last year with the hardware that i was using um, so i switched up to a new kind of hardware so i'm getting things back up and running now but um otherwise i'd show you the stuff we could i could show you some pictures by the way just a side note here really quick for you i could i got some stuff you could take pictures of that'll probably be tech techy stuff yeah we can put them in the show notes whatever anyway yeah sorry um so what it does is it has a soil moisture a soil temperature a lumis so that's the light um and then it has an ambient temperature and humidity sensor and those are these little boxes and they just plug into the ground in their wireless um, ran by battery and uh, they'll be in every field every basically every irrigation zone in the whole property so they'll be if there's a plant or in, and in specific areas that we want to target for let's say we tried out a new kale and we want to see what it's doing we can put one in there to kind of monitor how much water that that kale is pulling out of the soil you know um, so generally we'll have them in every zone, but we can use them in spe- specific places. And so that, that um, core technology, the server technology can input any kind of sensory data and then it, it saves it and processes it. And so, good. So then does that, that shoots back to your server and you yep. actually look at that on your computer, like exactly yeah. but every morning you could diagnose any issues possibly? Yeah, totally. So one of the projects that I'm working on right now um, is 3D designing um, our property. So um, it's in 3D. Our, it, you know, you can see the house, you can see the fields. Um, and then that's going to be the interface that we can use to kind of monitor. Um, we've, we've attempted, I've, I've attempted a couple iterations of the interface and they've all been kind of flat web-based looking things. And we just found, I, personally, I found that they've been kind of clunky and hard to use and kind of hard to understand especially as we get people working here um, it's going to be hard for them to see it and I, I just thought recently that a location-based system is so much better so you can say oh well I know that the kale is in that front bed okay let me click on that front bed and it pulls it up you know mm-hmm. kind of Iron Man style so you can kind of it superimposes the data over the top of it and you can kind of say oh cool that's what I need and so one of the kind of the cool features of this because I'm a what I do now professionally is web-based programming. Um, so what we're going to do on our website is I'm going to put that 3D map on our website so you can go visit it. And it'll have th- real-time th- data from, you know, what chickens are in the coop and what what's the temperature out in the field right now, you know, that kind of stuff. So I thought it would be kind of a cool thing for our customers to just go check out and see, you know, what's the status of the farm right now. Yeah, right, because then it's like, then your customers or your subscribers, right, which we'll dive into, but that makes them feel like they're, you know, more of a part of it. Totally. They're following it. They're, you know, they're rooting for that that wheat field to grow or, you know, that barley or those hops to get rolling. Um, And then you were also quoted in that same interview as you foresee a revolution in the making. Mm Mm-hmm with technology and artificial intelligence and robots and all that. You wanna 
sure. Yeah, I mean, there's there's gonna always be. Uh, part of the article didn't touch on is what I said to to Matthew there too. Is not that he was misquoting me or anything, but he just kind of left that part out. Is that there's always gonna be a a niche for somebody to come in and say, I farm with a horse. I only do tools with hands and, and there are people that will buy from them because it's better, you know, whatever it is. But I think generally speaking, and this is what I was getting at is that you won't be able to be a small scale farmer without knowing how to program. Like it's just, you got to know to code because you won't be able to keep up with people like us. Um, because we can automate our processes so much that we can grow, you know, those perfect tomatoes every time because the robots are out there doing it. And it's good. It's going to be hard to compete with that because they can run 24 hours a day, you know, and it's, it's a sad fact of, of robotics and AI. I mean, that all jobs are going to deal with that soon. Um, you know, truckers are going to have to deal with that sooner than we, than farmers will. But, um, it is the future of farming, it, and it's already starting. You can see it already happening. There's these robots that are coming out now that can pick weeds out of um, lettuce fields as they, they drive right over the top, and they're little, almost like hands that are picking weeds out as they go. You know, and that was somebody's job, and yeah. now, now it's a robot. So it's hard to compete with that. And so I think all farmers, if they want to compete in the market, will have to deal with that. All right, yeah, I agree. The, you know, the writing's on the wall. You see it with... Uh any grocery store you walk into, right? Self checkout. You're doing a checkout now. Yeah. Uh, for those that go to McDonald's, you know they have this self order kiosk, or Uber has self automated cars. You right. know, it's like it. Anything that a robot can replace in the future is probably going to happen. Yep. Right. Because at some point, economics comes into play. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So now, Emily, we'll we'll let you have get a, get a little words in. Um, <laughs> if you want to talk about how you guys operate your your business model, right? Would you sure. be the one to question she's, about that? She's yeah. the she's the one. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so you guys do a subscription based business model, and you want to share we with do. us kind of your your victories and your shortfalls and how your system's set up. Sure. Well, uh, we are doing a weekly vegetable basket, um, and that's the subscription model where our customers are asked to pay for the entire season up front to secure their spot. So they pay the lump sum in the spring, and then they're secured for 13 weeks of veggie delivery. And we drop off at Growler Guys in Coeur d'Alene and they pick up. The customers can pick up at the drop-off time or at a later time if that's more convenient. Um, So it's been working great. I mean, we're at capacity. So it's nice to know what we're growing, how much we can grow, and that really dictates the customer um, kind of quantity that we can have. And uh, yeah, so we're maxing out each year and we have the funds beforehand so we know what we're harvesting is actually going to be picked up. You know, instead of harvesting, delivering, and oh, they didn't want it that week. So now we're out 
that product. Yeah. So this kind of secures it. Uh, we do have a lot of flexibility though with our customers. So it's the summertime, you're going camping, you're off for a family reunion, you're not gonna be around for a week and you don't need that basket. Um, you know, we're so flexible, like just call us a few days beforehand before we harvest and we'll refund that uh, weeks. So we don't want people to be locked in. They pay for this product and then they can't enjoy it. So we really want to have that customer service and have a good customer experience. Uh, so what we're doing here and growing food that we love, we want others to love it as well and not just have a product that we're trying to sell. And uh, I think that that's kind of been how it's been working so far. We do sell our eggs as well, and that's more on a monthly subscription at this point, um, which has been working quite well. And uh, yeah, so we just kind of secure the customers and build those relationships, and it's been very nice. So you are the, oh, Luke has some. Yeah, well, just one clarification. She uh, said that it implied from what she said that we require the customers to pay all up front, which is not actually not true. You can pay monthly. So you can, you just put your first month's deposit down and then we'll, and you just keep paying monthly. Yeah. So it's more of that subscription service. So, so if you don't pay monthly, you get canceled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, it, what we do for the people who do pay up front, they get a discount. Okay. So it, it's, a, they're incentivized to, to basically, because it helps us, and that's why we do it, is because seeds cost a lot of money. It doesn't seem like it, but they do. You know, we spend yeah. a lot of money um, on seed and on fertilizers and, you know, on all our stuff that we do. And so it's nice to get that. And that's why they have that CSA model that, you know, everyone's probably heard about, the community-supported agriculture. And that's what that is, is you basically say, oh, I'm going to help the farm farm, and in return... I'm going to get vegetables for it. We, I mean, it's great. It's, it's cool. It's awesome. I strongly recommend doing it. But we felt that it was kind of a, it kind of hurt the customer a little bit. We kind of come from the backgrounds of like um, the marketing world, you know, and yeah. we kind of felt like it was kind of limiting to the customer. And we, we're always customer first kind of people. And so um, it was like, okay. Well, how can we take that cool model, but also help it help our customers out too? So that's kind of why that we went with the subscription model. Yeah, and I mean, being you know a startup farm, like you're saying, seeds are not cheap. Like you go to the store, it's like wow, and you know you're growing everything organically too, so you don't have you know all those fertilizers, right, and pesticides. Yeah, our, all our fertilizers are. Uh, Omri certified organic certified fertilizers, so that it's all natural stuff, you know. Yeah, I mean, which you is really showed, expensive. You showed me the the container, you know. <laughs> it's like this is not just like you know, spray it down, watch it grow three times the size that it should be with steroids and you know all that other stuff, which is cool. But I'm sure that cuts into you know the checkbook a little bit more as well right? yeah definitely um when you're growing organically everything takes a little bit longer because uh, especially with the pest and weed situation 
Um, you can't just spray for pests or weeds. You're out there hand picking and you're hand weeding and you're dealing with all of the different um, aspects that come along with just the cycle of life. You know, there are going to be bad pests, but there are also good pests that come in and can help you. So as long as you're working on that ecosystem and really facilitating places for all of the different other beneficial insects to come in and help you out. But that takes a long time. And especially for us, we're really trying to build up our soil. Uh, the soil nutrients really is all that matters when it comes to how nutritious that plant's going to be. So when you're building up your own soil and you can't just spray something or have that chemical that's really been modified to develop that plant, um, you're wanting to build that ecosystem. So all of those beneficial insects and everything works together, that's time and that's a lot of extra um, you know, off-farm resources that you need to be bringing on-farm for different manures and organic hay and mulching and all that type of thing that those are uh, surprisingly large costs. Yeah. Try finding organic hay. It's ridiculous how hard it is. Like, it's insane and how expensive it is. It, that seems so not a thing. Like, why is that a thing? But it is. It's so expensive. It's ridiculous. Everyone sprays their fields, you know? So we, that's one of our uh, stack composts. That's what we use as a base layer of that is, is that organic hay up there. Um, it's never had any chemicals put on it at all, ever. And there's one guy that does it that we could find. Mm -hmm. And they're not cheap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, all kinds of issues, right? Yep. I wanted to actually um, dive into chickens. <laughs> chicken, chicken expert, Emily. Excellent. Uh, we were talking like, you know chickens kind of stats and stuff but sounds like there's a lot to tell about that people can tell about their eggs you know within their eggs mm -hmm. from that they're purchasing you want to kind of dive into definitely what people should be looking for and that sort of thing yes well we are advocates for pasture raised um, hens so free range there's a lot of different marketing terms out there and free range on a egg carton doesn't necessarily mean they're out in a pasture, having a great time eating bugs. They could be outside for maybe 10 minutes and they may not have any room to move, but they see the sun for 10 minutes. Um, so those marketing terms are very um, misleading, I guess. So one of the things that I've noticed just from raising hens and eating their their eggs is that yolk so when you're eating a pale yellow egg yolk you can tell that that hen has not been out on pasture that they haven't been eating grass so they are only being fed like a grain diet or you know something that's been processed um, so they are not eating just normal grass and being a pasture hen. But if they are on pasture, their yolk color changes. So the more yellow or even orange that it is, 
uh, the more you can tell that they're on pasture. Um, I know the different types of um, grains that they eat kind of changes that too. We've noticed grass versus say clover, like clover really changes that color. So, you know, if you are enjoying an egg in your breakfast, uh, just make sure that you're um, checking that yolk and making sure that it's a nice bright yellow. And that really indicates that that hen who laid your egg is healthy and happy and probably on pasture. So one of the things I notice is like at the grocery store, you're buying eggs cage-free. Like, is that different than, you know? Yeah, so cage-free, um, I'm sure you've seen multiple images. There's been a big movement in the whole poultry um, environment lately. Um, but typically, they would keep a hen in a cage where they can't really move. And when they lay the egg, it drops down and kind of funnels out of that cage so somebody can come and collect. So that hen really doesn't have any life besides just sitting in a cage and producing eggs. Um, so there are different environments where they're cage-free, but they're still inside. So they don't have any access to outside. So even though the, they're cage-free, that doesn't necessarily mean they have any room to move. I mean, they could just be in a large facility and in the same type of conditions, uh, they might have a little bit more space. You really don't know. So that's the hard part is if you don't know who you're getting your eggs from, you really don't know how those hens are being treated. So you need to do your research if you're buying your eggs from the store or you need to find a farmer and just talk to the farmer and see how they're raising their hens. And a lot of farmers are even pretty open to inviting people out and you know, really sharing their story because it is kind of that passion project. We love our hens and we care about the conditions that they're in. Yeah, and I think one of the other kind of misconceptions that we talked about when we were walking around on our tour out here was the organic, right? Like, there's you said there's so many loopholes in the what's considered organic and whatnot, and kind of what are some things that that people should maybe keep an eye out for with produce or eggs or you know anything else they're buying that is labeled organic. So organic standards, um, I think everybody has a good view of what a nice farm looks like and an organic farm should be, but the standards are technical, you know, they're technicalities and, you know, if you spray 30 feet away, you're, you can have that section organically certified. Okay, well, you know, that's a guideline. If there's wind, if there's more to it, you know, there are just technicalities. Like, oh, I'm still organic because I technically followed this one guideline and standard that they have. Um, but I think there's a lot more common sense that needs to be implemented into practices. And 
unfortunately, our society is kind of dictated by standards and marketing terms. And you can't trust a farm that you don't know. can't trust, you know, a lot of different things in the world. But, you know, if you do know your farmer, if they're local, if you can at least find out honest information about them, you know, I think that that's on everybody to do themselves. Like, that's everybody's responsibility to know where their food is coming from, what they're eating, and... Um, I think that there's a lot of just marketing going on that isn't the truth, you know? I would say, though, generally speaking, I mean, because like us, for instance, up here, right, we can't get tomatoes in December. You just can't, you know? Um, And so you got to make a decision when you go to the store. Am I going to get non-organic? Sorry, non-organic or organic, you know? And we choose when we're at the store we choose organic because at least it's better than knowing that they went through and crop dusted it you know i mean most of the organic approved pesticides and herbicides are still nasty nasty things i mean we're talking you don't want to put them in your body but it's better than roundup you know or you know some of the other ones that people use so it's like sometimes you got to pick your poison, literally. Yeah. And, um, so, you know, when you don't have a choice of knowing your farmer and that sort of stuff, I mean, we, we do it personally. We'll, we'll go to, you know, the organic section for our produce because it's better than, than nothing, you know. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, it is crazy. I was, I got this quote and see if i can remember it that i heard the other day it was like it's they like they say you are what you eat but you are you are what you eat eats right (laughs) right yeah so like you're eating you know pesticides basically you know if and some of these uh fruits and vegetables and and that sort of thing which kind of was, was thinking about it i was like man like you know, I never really thought of it that way. I was always just a guy like, hey, you know, this is, this looks good. It's cheaper. I'm gonna buy this, and not really thinking about wh- what was put on or or in that thing that I'm putting in my body to make it be cheap or you know look good. Yeah. Not, not something that a lot of people consider. Yeah. So, uh, if you guys could go back, you just could go to either or both, both of you, whatever. If you could go back in time. What advice would you give yourselves? Well, I think I've had a lot of learning lessons, but I don't know if I would actually take my advice because of who I was. Um, I think where we are now, we've really grown because of all of the networking that we've done in the farming community, especially being new farmers and not knowing a lot of the ins and outs of growing and pest management and crop rotation and cover crops. Like there's just so much that we've learned from other farmers who have gone through those experiences. Um, So networking is huge, Um, but I'm an introvert. So again, I probably would have still struggled with that advice. Um, But, you know, you just have to show up and it's uncomfortable to go to meetings or go to 
the get together and not know anybody and not know anything to contribute to the conversations, but you just have to keep showing up. Um, you know, it takes months, a year, you know, you, I know it sounds like a big investment and it's uncomfortable, but the more you do it, the more you grow and the more friends you honestly cultivate from that. Like we have some amazing friendships from these people that we just show up and, you know, talk about our problems. And I think that that's the other one is be vulnerable. It sucks. You don't know what you're talking about. Ask a lot of questions because people are going to surprise you and they're going to offer a lot of help. And being vulnerable, I think, opens you up to more friendships and to learn more from those people. And you might get burned by a few, but the ones that you do really connect with, it's so worth it. Yeah, that's what I was, I mean, I was going to say, you know, basically, I, I mean, I remember the first time we were, we, she recommended we go to one of these things. I'm like, I'm not going to that. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Like, then I would have went back and told myself, you moron, go. Because it's, it's so good. I mean, that, that totally made us. Like, we would not be here. You guys would not be sitting here it's that is the number one thing that got us from where we were to here um it's just knowing people and getting out and talking about it you know and that sort of stuff so when you live in your own little bubble and it all farmers that's the problem with farmers right we're we our tendency is to live in our bubble um and i i I think that's why we have the grain commodity market is because all the farmers didn't want to actually go outside of their farms you know they're just like eh, let somebody else deal with it i don't want to talk to people um, but that's, it, it, it was, it was a struggle at first, but now it's, I look forward to it. You know, we have our, we have, a our co-op has a monthly get together at one of the bre- local breweries, you know, every week, every month. And so we go hang out and drink beer and it's just a good time. And, and you don't get to that spot, you know, and you don't get to here unless you are out networking. It's just so important. And, and I'm sure it's that way in every, every business not just farming yeah right being vulnerable put yourself in uncomfortable situations you know like you go to show up at this farmer convention or you know meeting and it's like what all i know is you know what i learned as a kid or you know something like that right mm-hmm. yeah it's like as long as you at least try to prepare a little bit have a few like icebreaker questions and you know, the conversation will flow. Just have a few icebreakers and have a few questions that you want to learn and show up and do it. Just a couple more questions here, so and then we'll we'll be we'll wrap it up. But if you could get one message out to the community, what would it be? So yeah. Okay. Let's try this. Let's do this in a couple phases because I I think mine's going to be a little aggressive and then we'll see if we can tone it back maybe. We'll we'll start with that. Hey, let it flow. Um, One of the things I would think, I would say is is that doing vegetables the way we do them and doing grains the way we do them and doing hops the way we do in our eggs, it costs a lot of money to do. And I don't think a lot of people understand how much effort time money goes into growing that tomato that you love, you know, from the farmer's market. 
And the problem we have is that most of the customers, you know, most consumers um, value products based on what they see at the grocery store, right? Even, even the organic stuff, you know, those are still done on huge production farms most of the time, you know, they're in, you know, uh, Mexico or wherever it's coming from, even semi-locally, um, you know, regionally, it it's still in these giant farms, which, I mean, those people have to get paid too but here locally you know we're helping the local community local farmers by spending that money and i know it feels when you pay that for a tomato it feels hot you know that's not what people want to do they don't want to spend that money on it but it helps the farmer and you're getting good products in the end you know and if i were to say anything it'd be you know pay it if you can pay it because it's worth it you know, you're getting good quality products that you are what you eat, right? And yeah. so, and these guys, most of the farmers I've ever met, I can't, actually, I've never, I don't think I've ever met a farmer here that is a track farmer kind of thing where they're just in it for the money. They're in it to grow the best vegetables they can and the most nutritious. And, you know, the, they're passionate about growing those things and, and it, pays and 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 i the customers have to pay it too and that's the i mean it sucks it's it's terrible but that's the reality is is we got to pay these guys and that's what you said with me is like i'm trying to figure out a way to earn wages that are normal not farmer wages on a farm because farmer wages are so low like when we are we were in class our very first class um for beginning farmers they told us to budget eight dollars an hour for our time which if you tried to pay a developer eight dollars an hour <laughs> he would throw a computer at your face yeah you laugh yeah, right? yeah yeah and so that's kind of the issue and in that stems from the fact that consumers don't really want to pay those those prices for things which i'm i mean as a consumer i understand it too i'm just as guilty as anybody of this but that's kind of the facts that we're at right now is that and why I'm doing the automation stuff is I'm I'm hopefully trying to get the prices down, but still get the quality out there, you know. And so, you know, pay up. <laughs> get what get what you pay for. Yeah, there yeah. you go. That's a better way to say it. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that there's a bigger story to that as well because there's so many costs when you go to the doctor because you're having gut issues or. You know, having a healthy diet and nutrient-dense food free of pesticides and so forth really helps your entire physical body, mental, and so forth. So it's not just the cost of being full and getting the calories for the day, but it's the cost of potentially not going to the doctor or lowering your insurance costs and just the long-term effects of you know, eating healthy and really um, kind of protecting yourself and your body for the long term. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't put a price tag on health, right? Because you start, health starts going down the drain. I mean, money does you no good. Uh, what do you guys want to be remembered for? Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that lately. Um, 
maybe bringing automation to the small farmer, you know, maybe AI, that kind of thing. I don't know. There, I spent so many years in tech that that, that kind of feels like my default answer now. And I don't really want it to be. <laughs> um, I don't know. You know, that I'm kind of struggling with that right now myself, you know, hit the three, five and you start thinking, okay, your, me legacy, your mental you thing know? starts. Yeah, exactly. You start switching your mental state a little bit. And I, I don't know if I have an answer for you. I mean, um, cause I don't know if I know it yet. Yeah. Does that, right? is that like a you're always searching? I mean, yeah. I could dig deeper on, on what you said about, you know, artificial intelligence, you know, intelligence on farming is, Ultimately, you know, I'm sure you would probably like to see uh, the world be able to get better food at cheaper price, right? Right. Yep. Which is kind of the end end goal. Yep. Either cheaper price or higher wages for the farmer. Yeah, totally. Yeah. What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to be remembered for, Emily? Uh, so... I don't know if I necessarily want to be remembered for something. I just want to have a big impact in people's lives and encourage them to aspire for the passions that they have, just like our passion for farming. You know, there's been so many people that have helped us along the way. Like, I want to be one of those people that people remember me because I inspired them and encourage them to take those risks and get them connected with the right people that will make those dreams come true. Awesome. And one more thing that I passed over that I had, like, I even had it highlighted. But uh, <laughs> we were talking about the artificial intelligence and, you know, kind of where you see the future of farming being, Luke. And also something in that article talked about robots and you've brought it up, you know, today is robots and farming. What is your take on that? So they're, they're still so early. I mean, it's a, it's a new thing kind of, um, but we are going to hopefully invest this winter into it. Um, there's a guy, I don't know where he's from. I think he's in the U S um, he's developing something called the farm bot. And the farm bot is basically a CNC machine for farming. Um, so it has an X, Y, and a Z um, axis that you can go in and program this thing to go in and plant seeds, it waters, it fertilizes. It does everything pretty much except, um, it even weeds, uh, it does everything except harvest currently. Um, so it's mainly designed, his whole goal was he really should have called it garden bot. Um, really isn't a farm bot per se. Maybe that's a farmer's perspective, but, um, his goal was to build these little, um, raised garden beds, kind of like ours out there. And you just attach this thing. And it's for somebody like live in a, in a urban setting, you can have it on your roof, you know, and it grows your food for you. You don't have to worry about it. It's just there. You know, it's very tech centric, um, thought process that he had behind it. But, I saw it and was like, hey, I could use that to grow greens because we hate growing greens. Everyone loves greens, but we despise growing them because it's it's a lot of work. It's a ton of weeding, um, but it's 
the crop that every farm, small farmer like us, market gardeners, has to grow because that's where the money is. Um, everyone wants greens. Um, and we despise doing it. So this is what we're going to do. And I'm going to hopefully get two machines. They're kind of expensive right now. Um, so we may only do one. And it's only designed for a four by six bed. So I'm going to have to modify it to do, I want to do four by 75 foot. And I'm going to have it run pretty much 24 seven. It'll be out there seeding, um, succession planting. So it'll take, you know, however much we need every week. And it does it that section every week. Um, and it will be hopefully 100% automated farming. So it'll be growing everybody's greens to really good standards, all organic standards, you know. Um, but we don't have to do anything except harvest them. Man, I want to see that. You'll have to, <laughs> you'll have to call us. And yeah. We'll come back out here when, uh, <laughs> when you got that rolling and we get some, some footage of it. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. One of the, just a side note too, is one of the cool things we're going to do with it is put it in what's called a caterpillar tunnel. It's kind of like a greenhouse, a prop up greenhouse. Um, and we're going to do a heater in it that runs, they're called rocket mass stoves. It's basically a, a wood stove that's underground. And so it heats the ground around it. Um, but our goal is, is it won't be next year, but the year after is to be growing greens in the winter. Year-round mm. greens all the time. Year-round greens in North Idaho. Yep. I mean, there's people doing it, of course, but it's a lot of work. And it's it's tough when it's, there's three feet of snow and you got to walk out there and do it, you know? And you're out here in the snow belt. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we get three feet of snow. And to have to go out and harvest greens every day, it's, you know, plant seed and all that stuff. It's not fun. But the robots can do it, and they can do it 24-7. So... Cool. Any lasting thoughts that you guys want to leave us with? We're growing. Get your CSA <laughs> next year. We're we're capped out this year, but next year we'll have one. LoneMountainFarms.com. Yeah, subscribe to our newsletter. Then you'll be on our list, and you can uh, get all of the updates on what's going on on the farm. We have um, Facebook, Instagram. So just search for Lone Mountain Farms, and you can follow what's going on on the farm. And people subscribe to the newsletter through the website? Exactly. So LoneMountainFarms.com. Perfect. Yeah, you did a good... I imagine you built that website? I did, yeah. yeah. It was a pretty nice website there. Thank you. All right, guys. Well, that wraps it up um, for us. We appreciate you having us out and sharing your insights with Coeur d'Alene and, and us as well. So No problem. We wish you nothing but luck in the future. Thank you. Well, thanks so much for coming out. It was a pleasure. You're welcome. Well, that was a fun interview. I learned lots that I did not know. Uh, did you know, this is one fact that we didn't talk about in the interview, but did you know that if you go to buy chicken at the store, like the farm store, you got a 30% chance that it's going to be a rooster. Just just a fact for you, a farm fact. Uh, Want to give a shout out, you know, if you have any interest in subscribing to Lone Mountain Farms to get in their awesome produce, go over to their website, www.lonemountainfarms.com. Be sure to follow them on Instagram, Facebook. Um, subscribe so you can be on the list 
they're sold out this year for memberships and subscriptions but next year you can subscribe get yourself on the list they're going they're growing so awesome food also be sure to like Cordland advice givers on facebook instagram uh, head over to itunes or your preferred method of listening and leave us a review you will forever be grateful till next time Cordland.